Charlotte podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. Super stoked on the show, on foiling, on everything right now. Today's guest is Simeon K. Paloma. He has been accredited by guys like Kahi, Jack from Town, as being one of the OGs of downwind, prone downwind on the North Shore. And it was incredible to have him on just with his background in canoe paddling and then the stories of the first downwind runs, how that's come about, and the whole Voyager crew. Uh, he's just an epic dude, and I think you guys are going to learn a lot from him today. But before we jump in, I want to talk about a theme that I have been thinking on a lot in the last few weeks as it pertains to foiling and then extrapolating that out into greater context of how this theme happens in the world. And that theme is progression evolution. And so foiling is the first sport that I have been a part of from the inception as it is in this massive exponential uh, progression phase. You know, I, I was big in stand up um, surfing, but I was a few years late to that game. You know, guys like Kyleni, Mofredis, Fisher Grant, they were already surfing at a very high level. And so when I came into that sport, it was a process of breaking down what had happened before and then creating training patterns around the skills that had been mapped out by the guys ahead. Foiling's a little bit different in that I feel like I'm much more a part of the evolution and not on the progression side necessarily, but in time with it. It didn't happen before. We're seeing it unfold. We're all a part of it right now, right? Not just me. We're all a part of it. And seeing it unfold in real time and at a place where it's it's all attainable. You know, like if you look at surfing, if you think about surfing, shortboarding in this realm, if you were to start surfing today, you would have a decade of learning that had been already mapped out ahead of you to even become, you know, maybe if you're a kid and you're a phenom a little bit less, but to get to that highest level, there's a lot there already. Foiling's different in that it's so new that we're all a part of this initial phase. And so what I want to talk about a little bit is how I'm seeing that progression and evolution happen. And then these are some thoughts that I've had for a long time, you know, related to music or, or anything really, how that tends to happen um, in any discipline. And so the idea is, first off, um, the word creativity. I think people attribute creativity to people that have just um, this ability to be able to create of nothing. And, and I don't believe that. The way that I see creativity is I think that past experiences and exposures allow people to connect dots in ways that other folks don't. And I don't think that this is a conscious pro process. I don't think a lot of people realize that that is the key to creativity. But I think the, cre the key to creativity is broad exposure 
and then connecting random dots that other people don't see. So if you think about someone like um, a Jimi Hendrix, he was a master blues music, a musician ahead of becoming Jimi Hendrix and, and going off on his own. I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but the basis, the knowledge that he had from differing parts of music allowed him to see things and build on top of that. So when you're coming into a new sport like foiling, we're all building on disparate experiences of the past. So if you look at someone like, say, uh, Simeon, who's on the podcast today, he has a canoe racing background. He spent a lot of time, or Dave Kalama, these guys have spent a lot of time in, in downwinding ocean bumps. They're going to bring that experience into the foiling world in a way that someone like me, who's never been downwind on a sup or anything like that before is going to. And so they're going to be able to become creative in the space of foiling at a different in a different way that someone like me would be able to. Now where my background is like a shortboarding, sup surfing background skate, you know, the way that I'm seeing hitting um, you know, sections coming at you, things like that, I'm drawing on all of that past experience. And so I think if we look at foiling right now, and if you look at the areas where the progression is and who's driving that progression, you can look to their past history and what they're bringing in. And I think that's such a cool theme because since we're seeing that unfold right now in foiling, it is a micro to the macro of what exists everywhere. So if you think about tennis, at some point in tennis, like that is a very deliberate practice sport right now. There is a roadmap blueprinted out for anyone who wants to become great at tennis. But at some point, there was probably someone getting into tennis who was a, I don't know, played some other sport, golf or badminton or whatever it was, who was bringing in techniques and trying and um, iterating on those to figure out those best practices. And then as you get farther along the line, like say a, a violinist, um, everything is pretty much laid out and then there's the roadmap. So we're in this really cool period of time right now where there is no roadmap and the progression evolution that is happening is based on the collective psyches that we share in this sport using our past experiences to create what is happening. And I think that's such a cool thing. And then I think if you go and you look at the foil evolution and design, you have this whole side project happening of the creators in the space, the foilers in the space, seeing a new need, and then the designers taking that new need and expressing it in carbon or in aluminum or whatever it is. And so these two, these two um, channels of growth are happening simultaneously together to create what our sport is right now. And I think it's fantastic. I was also thinking about, I just dropped my phone. I was also thinking about the evolution, if you looked at like V1, 2, 3, and maybe we're on 4 right now, foils happening, they couldn't have happened differently, you know? Because foiling was a new sport and because to ride the Lyft 120 Cabrina 800, you have to be good, that wing could not have been designed four years ago. It would have been, no one would have would have spent the time to learn it. It would have been, oh, that wing, you have to be in big surf for it. And so the Lyft 200 v1 or the cloud you know x32 those were the foils that we needed at that moment and you could trace that along so you know v1 
low aspect, thick, slow, sturdy, uh, stable. Like that was V1. And then V2 thinned out a little bit. Um, V3, kind of the mid aspect craze happening, starting. And then V4, we're going really specialized. You know, I look at the new foils, the, I mean, the, the 120, the Vipers, which I'll get into in just a second, but, um, those were not foils that could have existed for the collective ability of foiling four years ago. And now they're here. And so that's really fun to extrapolate out and think about where we're going to be in a few years. If you look at the last three, and I think that it won't be, I think the exponential curve is, is mellowing out at this point because I mean, we're starting to understand what's needed, but, but we're still not close to that peak plateau yet. And so there's still a lot of growth to happen. And as we get, as we attract better surfers, guys, you know, John, John and the top 32, these people are going to be coming in with different lenses. Um, and think about winging and what's happening with winging right now, all of these different lenses coming into the sport. Um, we're not close to knowing what foiling is going to be. And while it might slow a little bit, I still think we have a long way to go. So let me know if that resonates with you guys. And if you like kind of that, that type of intro, I've something I've been thinking about doing for a little bit, but, um, it's just exciting times. All right. So the Viper, um, Couple couple thoughts. Uni just hooked me up with the whole series of their foils, and it just so happens that they gave me the new board curse, the new foil curse, and the waves have been pretty much junks. But today looks like it's going to be fun. I'm going to get it in a little bit. But the Vipers look incredible. They're a thin profile, right? If you compare them to, say, a Game Changer, um, which came out a little bit before the Viper, and as far as design goes um game changers are a little bit thicker they're dihedral the viper is thinner a little bit more high aspect i was comparing like the 140 to 150 this morning and the 170 to 170 um they are a little bit longer in span but with the anhedral so the viper has a little bit of anhedral down curve tips i don't think you're going to have any breaching issues i'm one session in on the 170 and i didn't have it tuned correctly but I didn't know how to pump it at the beginning first. I, I was trying to pump it more like a high aspect foil right on the first couple runs. And I was kind of stalling it out a little bit. And then I realized that it likes a pretty big, swooping, powerful pump. So not like an inflection tap, but a big swoop. And I was able to create a lot of speed on it. It turns really good, holds really good, pushes back on you super hard and turns. And that's just the beginning. So I'm really excited to to dive in on these. Oh, one other note is that the new construction. So, you know, I think that the delay in these coming out is that uni had some issues with getting, you know, the wings produced and they weren't satisfied with what was coming out of the factory. So they weren't ready to release it. And the ones, the ones that I got, the new Vipers, the 150, 170 are coming from the new factory that came directly here. Some of the first ones, I believe off the line and they are rock solid. I mean, there is zero flex in the foil itself. The masts that I have are still the older masts, so I haven't been able to feel one of the newer masts yet. The older masts are good, um, pretty much on par with like a, a signature mast. I was doing some flex testing, but the foil itself is rock solid. Carbon looks beautiful. So good work on that, guys. Um, and hopefully those will be available for everybody soon. 
And last thought before we dive in, I have been, if you've been following me on Instagram, I've been working on the legit downwinders. So chipping in on, on bumps out in the ocean and it's not gone incredibly well. I've been going out on the wrong days and I have to give uh, James Casey some credit. He's been kind of giving me some tips and stuff. And one of the things that he said was I'm riding too small foils, you know, I'm, I'm equating everything to the surf. And so I just got the, thanks to TJ at big winds, just got the 1440, uh, Kajira. And I took that out yesterday in seemingly glassy conditions. It was 4.9 feet at five seconds or 4.9 feet at seven seconds and seven mile an hour onshore winds. I mean, it was kind of oily out there. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I got up, couldn't believe it. You know, I was probably about 300, 400 meters offshore, wet, well away from like where breaking waves were. And it took me a little while to find the right bump to do it, but I got up. Now I had put on this massive Kujira tail that came with the 1440. And that thing, as soon as I got up, it was like hard to even pump that thing. So I will not ride that tail again. And I basically stalled out because I couldn't keep the first bump and then basically couldn't even pump to the second bump on it. But I am going to throw on, I don't know, like maybe a uni race tail or, or something a lot quicker, uh, maybe a cane and hopefully give it another shot this afternoon. I think we get wins. I think it should be a little bit better, but it's possible. You can pop up in not much on the Dave Kalama Joy of Foiling board and a 1440. And I'm a buck 90 in a 20 pound 4.3 wetsuit, 15 pound 4.3 wetsuit. So it's it's about to be on in Florida and I am beyond froth. And that ties directly into the podcast, which we're about to dive into because Simeon gives us lots of stories and experience on on downwind and how he sees it coming from his canoe racing background the crew in hawaii uh it's a good show and i was really stoked to get to hang out with him for an hour and a half so i hope you enjoy it thank you for tuning in hit me with questions comments feedback if it if there's a delay in getting back just means i'm busy uh never feel bad about sending it so all right guys thank you Simeon, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? Good. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Stoked and looking forward to it. For sure. Yeah, I'm stoked to have this conversation too. Your name keeps coming up. I mean, a buddy of mine was a lifeguard out there for a little while and said that you were super rad and letting him borrow his foil, <laughs> borrow, borrow your foil. And, and then people keep dropping your name on the podcast as someone who's super inspirational, sending the biggest, raddest downwind runs and kind of <laughs> the charge out there. You're kind of like... The guy behind the guys, I guess. Nah, nah, it's been fun to be a part of the whole, the whole movement and, and just, and seeing it. And I always get stoked trying to help people out because it only like helps grow the sport and helps grow the stoke for everybody. And to me, that's the, the most fun thing is being able to share that thrill with kind of with everybody in your crew. So yeah, it's been cool. And yeah, Fisher, Fisher's a man. You know, yeah. we miss Fisher, but that guy, and he was so talented. He was telling me, you know, he came in and, you know, like we have a whole bunch of boards at work and we work in Waikiki where it's, you know, flat or small. And it's actually a, a great place to foil, you know, out at pops and whatnot. 
And this guy comes out of nowhere and is just pumping laps around everybody. And we're all like, this guy might be the best foiler who doesn't ever foil. You know, <laughs> it's funny, but yeah, we miss him. But yeah, he, he, but he, he was actually a cheater. He said he was down in Mexico with you guys and, and getting some laps in and, and fine tuning and, and getting it all. But Fisher for sure is a talented waterman along with a lot of the, a lot of the guys that we surf and foil with and a bunch of the lefter guys, you know, so it's it's, it's it's fun it's fun to see him kill it you know everybody kill it yeah fish is a great dude for those of you guys who don't know who we're talking about his name is fisher grant he is an incredibly talented surfer like i don't know probably seven or eight years ago in the I, he was probably 18 at the time so the junior like u.s nationals he won longboard finaled in shortboard and one sup or got second in sup but anyways like all three disciplines he was you know leading yeah. the large and he rode for me i, I shaped boards and on the portal label he rode for me for a long time we did a bunch of trips together he's just like anything he touches it's just like yeah you know, and he got foiling so in about i don't know five waves he had like kind of figured out how to, it was mo- one of the most frustrating things i've ever seen in my life Right, right, right. He's so talented. And then he's so cool, right? I mean, you would never think that he would be such a hammer, right? We, we all joke and call him like the, the East Coast Kai Lenny, you know, but nobody would ever know because he's not posting. He doesn't have Instagram. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't talk, you know, he just gets out there and gets it done. We'll get off fish. Super cool. He was the best, worst yeah. sponsored athlete ever because he's so talented. <laughs> Everything looks so good, but he will not right. promote himself for anything else. You know, like, yeah, great, man. In the world we live in, it's actually kind of a really cool thing to be like. We, that. Yeah. We, we need more people like that, you know, in, in these times of influencers and social media and stuff, but it's cool. You know, it's cool to come across people like that and, and get reminded that, you know, you don't need to be all fancy to, you know, be a, sh- a ripper or a shredder, you know? Yeah. So um, t- tell but, us about you, Simeon. You are a lifeguard uh, on Oahu. Yep. And yep, yep. I know that you do that. I know that you foil. I know you surf good. That's the extent of it. Everybody keeps telling me you're the guy. Yeah. So um, born and raised on Oahu, grew up surfing. And then about high school or maybe in like grade school, you know, I would paddle recreationally. And then as I would got into high school, a couple of my classmates was actually like really top level canoe paddlers. Actually, one guy, Patrick Dolan, he ended up winning the Molokai Relay, which is like super big stuff. You know, the Molokai is one of the most prestigious canoe races or channel crossing races we have in the world. Right. Canoe, stand up, prone paddle, you know, all the uh, all the disciplines come and you get all tested in the in the Kaivi or the Molokai channel. But so anyways, one of my classmates, Patrick Dolan ended up winning it in the relay with one of his mentors. And so them, the Dolan brothers, along with my dad, who's a big, also one man canoe paddler, they ended up getting me into the sport or, you know, some good mentors I looked up to for canoe paddling. I got into canoe paddling. I was a competitive canoe paddler pretty much from high school, probably into my maybe like late twenties. And then I took up foiling in probably summer of 2019 it was funny yeah i work in waikiki where you know the season of waves is in the summertime so in the winter we got to get creative in how we're gonna train and stay in shape so you know before foiling days we would go fishing go diving do some beach workouts maybe take out the canoe and go paddle and have some fun and then one of my buddies one of my co-workers he got this foil board 
And it looks looked funny. It looked funky. Listen to one of your old podcasts. I think it was Akahi or Scotty. They're talking about that whole expression session at Queens. I think the first year and that was when everyone was riding gold foils. Yeah. And I think that was also like, there was no shapers. So like everyone was, had all these like homemade boards and it looked super ghetto. Like there was, you know, even if you wanted to get into foiling, you wouldn't even know how or what you would do. Right. Like I remember people were cutting long boards in half. And, and then we were like, how do you like, how do you get these boxes in, you know, and how does this work? And so it was, it was like back then, you know, still trying to figure it out. And I was actually guarding and watching the whole thing and it, and it looked cool, but not, you know, like, like I said, I was a paddler, I was a surfer and didn't really have any like large interest or curiosity for it. But yeah, what's my coworker, he got a board and me and a couple of my buddies went to go try it. And it was hilarious because we would go foiling and just catch cracks, get donuts, go flying, almost like cut our heads off and everything. And it wasn't even fun. It was just, it was hilarious that how hard it was, or it was hilarious, you know, like uh, we'd be pulling off of one foot waves because it was so critical. <laughs> and so like, it seems so dangerous. And, uh, you know, I never really had a, like a, like I said, a, a big interest, like, like I couldn't see it then. I just thought it was hilarious to get out there and just get so humbled because I've never felt anything like that ever. And I think, yeah, the first time we went out, it was probably like a solid three foot Hawaiian day out at Bomberos, which is off of Magic Island. And, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very girthy wave where there's a lot of, it comes from, you know, deep water and it comes to the shallows and it kind of jacks up, but it doesn't, it's not top to bottom, but it's a very girthy wave. So if you could imagine on the foil, it's, it's one of those deep water waves where like you get up and you're like, oh, we're it's shallower and the water kind of moves slower. So it's kind of, you know, easier to foil. And I just had the funnest time catching donuts, you know, seeing my friend Kikai getting launched into the sky. And I've never, like I said, never seen anything like that in my life. And it was just hilarious. And I think I just eventually, I went from my buddy's board. It was like a I think it was like a 5.0. I think he was riding a, a Lyft Surf 250. And then my other coworker got aboard and it was on a Nash foil. And that's when I started to like kind of get it. And it was so fun to go straight. And it was so fun to ride these gutless waves. And it was so cool to basically ride swells because I think before that, you know, we would not have anything to compare it to other than maybe like a canoe or a kayak or something. And then, yeah, just, I think, you know, once I started getting more and more into it and getting better and progressing, you know, and this, this is still not the archaic days, but it was like, everyone's on surf wings. Like you were the man, if you could pump out and catch a wave and, and connect a wave, you know, it was like such a big accomplishment to, you know, ride one all the way into the beach and then pump back out. And you'd be absolutely gassed and you'd be a hero if you can connect a couple waves, you know, but it was fun. And what I was sort of realizing is like, this is awesome. You know, like I'm in the water more often. I'm getting more riding time. I'm in the best shape of my life. You know, like the last 15 years or so I was all upper body heavy from canoe paddling. And then now it's like this new sport that we're all getting into is all bringing it back to balance and my legs are getting stronger and my health is getting good and it's crazy. It's beautiful. It's amazing, you know, and that's not even getting into the whole downwinding thing, you know, and it's to me like downwinding is the funnest thing, most efficient 
way to ride the ocean. And there's so much to talk about. You know, I'm excited. We'll dive heavy into downwind. Lots of the questions that we got from folks I posted up online and lots of the questions have to do with downwinding. I mean, to your point about becoming, you know, like the lower body, like I've actually had to start working out again, upper body, because I haven't changed weight too much, but it's right. all transferred from upper body to lower body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so now I've like started working out again and now I'm like back up to like a buck 90. Cause my arms are the size that they used to be, but I got really skinny, man. It's like, what would happen if there's like that funny meme that I saw going around about foilers and like <laughs> some guy who was uh, like an ice of racing, like whatever they're called, like skates, ice skating. Right. Like, and he just has guy. huge legs. Yeah. <laughs> no upper body. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. it's awesome, man. Like it's it, uh, to me, it's, if you can dodge the foil and you know, keep yourself from getting hurt. And it's gotta be one of the most healthiest things, right? It's like, even before I was into like foiling, like we would do like those, you know, short and intense, like high intensity workouts, you know, circuit type stuff. And like, that's pretty much what foiling is, but you're having, so that's what it is. It's having fun, the most, the maximum fun that you can. And also having in a great workout. And, yeah. you know, like me, I probably lost probably 15 to 20 pounds. One of my other buddies, John Kahalev, I was lifeguard. He probably lost 25 pounds. You know, Moses, he used to be like big and strong and now he's all skinny. He's pretty, he's going through what you're going through right now, probably. But I think all in all, it's good. Right. I mean, you know, like I'm in my thirties and this is a pretty taxing sport on the body, but it's at least bringing our awareness to a point where, you know, like I'm stretching more often, you know, like I've had, had some moments where I'm like, my back will tighten up and it's just, it's a good reminder that when you, when your body demands so much that you got to like take care of it and stretch and hydrate and all that kind of stuff, you know? And I talk about it with one of my buddies all the time. And it's funny because if you were out just sprinting on a track, you yeah. would stop when your body started hurting, but because it's yeah. so incredibly fun to get that next wave or to go for distance or everybody yeah. watching or whatever, you push yourself like 30 or 40% farther than you think that you should, if you were actually yeah. just listening to your body. Yeah. And so, I mean, I hope that's good for us, but I mean, you know, I'm sure all of our resting heart rates are ridiculously low. Ridiculous low. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's, so later, I mean, we can get into the later, but that's pretty much where blacking out is, you know, it's like going beyond oh, I what your body, body can handle. And you just got to just black out and, you know, it's, it's either you're going to go down on a weight, like 15 or 20 yards before a wave, or you just got to just black out and blast through and just get it. And then you can kind of recover, you know, while you're standing up and able to lock your legs and prepare your lines for the next ride. That's unreal. Was there a moment at the beginning, we were talking about the beginning of when you were, you know, just getting your first flights. Was there a moment where you had some ride that opened your mind up to what was going to be possible? Was there like a, Oh man, this is way deeper and way better than I thought it was going to be moment. Like I have one of those. Yeah. I, I remember I was surfing pops and just catching the longest wave of my life and just being absolutely so stoked and so pumped. And, um, this is before we could pump back out. And I just remember like, this is amazing. I just rode a wave all the way in, which is probably like a quarter mile. And the wave wasn't breaking. It was just a swell. And I just thought that was amazing because there's never been a sensation like that ever. And then I was started having the wheels turning about, you know, uh, 
reflecting back on my experiences on, in the ocean as a canoe paddler. And, you know, you're out there basically riding waves that aren't really breaking in, you know, different kind of wave, but thinking that there could be a, an application for it. And I was just got the wheels turning, but then it's very different too, because like I said, I'm also a surfer. So like, I was like fascinated you know, watching the old videos of Scotty and Jack and all those guys who ripped Heimano, how they're able to, or even that guy, um, what's his name? The drone guy, Jason. He is a foil fever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jason Tanglin, yeah. Tanglin. He rips. And those, like, just seeing what they were able to do, high performance is so progressive. And just knowing, you know, like how critical it is because, you know, like, you know, really, you don't really understand how critical something is unless you're, you know, you dabble in it yourself. And, um, just being blown away that I kind of wanted to do that first and, and then get into downwinding. So, but it turned out, it's like, it's, it's such a good crossover and such a good cross training, or I think people don't realize that there's so much to learn in the surf lineup. That's going to equip you to be an efficient downwinder, right? I got so much people asking me, you know, how much times before, you know, and, before I can get out there in the wind. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not a rush, you know, like learn how to catch a wave because you're going to have to, you know, chip into a wave to get started. You know, people want to get towed to get the feeling, but I'm just like, nah, just start from the beginning. You know, you got to absolutely humble yourself, eat the whole pie. Everyone starts at zero. doesn't matter where you are. And you just got to enjoy the whole process, you know, like, and like I said, there's so much little moments that you're learning in the surf lineup that if you become a good surf foiler, you're, you're going to become a great downwind foiler. And I think, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but you know, it's, it could be like the, one of the most intimidating things for somebody who's a new foiler, you know, thinking that, you know, you know, only the top guys can downwind or something. And that's just not true. It's just, you know, like every, it's almost like every like specialty thing that we've all like have done or accomplished or tried, whether it would be uh surf foil, trying to do beach starts or even as simple as like getting into stand up, stand up foiling. It's everyone starts at zero and you just got to believe that every time and every rep you're going to get is going to, you're going to have tremendous progression and eventual success. You know, it's just being able to humble yourself again. Once, you know, once you think you've made it to the top. You're like, oh, I'm a foiler. I can catch waves. Like, ah, I don't want to go through the hills and valleys of downwinding again. So I'm just going to enjoy it. Or, you know, like, ah, I can beach start. Ah, I'm not going to get into stand-up foiling or, you know, vice versa or, or what, whatever it may be. Yeah. I hear that point. And I think that there's so much beauty and fun in the learning process, you know, like, so I guess I've been surf foiling now for a few years and it's really hard for me to go out and have my best session on a surf foil, you know, but I just got into winging and I got to say, I'm going to eat a lot of crow on this. You know, I didn't see the beauty in winging for a while. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. humbling. And I don't know, I have so much 10 X, the amount of fun, just going surfing out back just foiling out back. I just, it just clicked for me and Brian foil. The world has been babysitting me and Austin and Mike, (laughs) my buddy, Greg, they've kind of all been taking care of me and sherping me through this journey. And like really in the last two weeks, all of a sudden we're just like bombing these crazy runs and I'm still not good, but I'm good enough now to, you know, get out there and connect with bumps. And it's like, now it's like, what's so beautiful about the learning process is that every session is my best session. (laughs) 
right? That, and no. that's, I think that's what it is always, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, we're middle-aged men and, you know, like we should have, you know, pretty much all the learning is should be almost done, whether it be like, you know, academics, work, career or whatever. But I think that's also like what's so healthy about foiling is, and, and it's also like a path to happiness is just working towards something and then achieving it, you know? Yep. And for like, yeah, like wing foiling, I, I haven't gotten into it yet. Uh, and it's funny because everybody who tries to get me into wing foiling is like pretty much what I sound like to anybody trying to get into downwind or trying to get stand up paddling or just foiling in general. And I just know that, you know, maybe one, maybe one day I'll do it and it, it's going to be a blast, but it's just another way to enjoy the ocean, probably in our opinion, the, the best method possible, which is, you know, surfing's most innovative technology in hydrofoiling, you know, and that's what's, that's, what's awesome and exciting is that we're still discovering and learning so much about it. It's basically in its infant stage and we're getting to ride it as it goes up and grows and gets to the best part, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, the new gear that is coming out right now, it, it feels like it's on pace with kind of our foiling generations learning process, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the next thing is coming out right when we're ready for it. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, 10 years from now, it's all kind of going to be there and they, they're not going right. to know like how rad what they're riding is, but we're getting each new little piece of innovation we're getting to fully experience and it it makes it really expensive for us (laughs) (laughs) yeah but at the same time i mean it's so rad to be able to experience all that so let's dive in we've talked a little bit about downwinding here let's dive into a conversation on downwinding and what was your first run like how did you first start seeing the potential in downwind runs and and who was leading the charge out there some people have said it's you yeah so i remember Forgive me, because I don't have the exact chronological order, but I just remember the general time and moment where, um, you know, already leading the charge in the surf realm was probably, you know, guarantee it was Scotty, Adam, and Jack, and Amon. And, you know, I was on skill level still way behind them as far as foiling capabilities, and I still am. But I remember, you know, there would be like Kona onshore wind days, or there, there would be winds, windy days and, you know, no one re- would really th- think to go downwind yet. And at that time, you were a madman if you could catch a wave at tongs, pump out to rice bowls, which is you know, maybe 100 yards um, further out. It's almost like a, an outer reef in town. And then if you were to make it to Sandbar and into Kaimana Beach, which is overall a stretch of... 250 to 300 yards but it was a unique corner is at the end of the kaiko's run where you still have that it's and it was a it's a ground swell area meaning like rice bowls you could catch one at tongs pump out to rice bowls and then lock and rice bowls is one of those ways where it needs to be properly four feet hawaiian in order to be breaking top to bottom and anything below that It'll just be a running swell. So if you catch one of tongs, pump out the rice bowls, and you lock into one of those running swells, it'll take you over to the next peak, which is Sandbar. And if you could take that in to the channel and into the Kaimana Beach, that was like, I just did a downwind run. Like, oh, that was epic. You know, <laughs> like I said, at that time, like, you know, people were still on surf wings. 
I remember Jack was stomping those runs out on the 170 surf wing or the 200. I can't remember. And, you know, so I would go and try that. And it was awesome. It was amazing to feel that speed, energy, and flow. And it's very different than being on a wave. It's almost, you know, the ground swells out in the ocean, they move faster. So you're almost like moving or just as fast as moving when you're on a wave and you're going down the line. And then I also remember a time when I was uh, working the tower at Kamalana Beach and seeing, and, and these are like glassy days, right? It was seeing, I believe it was Adam and Scotty catch a wave over at Suicides, which is now a break further up from Tongs and then making it into Kaimana and being mind blown because at that time, those were the longest rides I've ever witnessed in my life. And just being blown away, like, what? That's impossible. You know, like, that's amazing, you know? And still, these are almost like, I guess, kind of what you can kind of compare to to what you guys are doing in Florida is those, those kind of short runners where you're locking into really good ground swells. Yep. And then after that, I remember it being just really stormy, windy. And, you know, raging winds, probably 25 to 30 miles per hour. There's a storm that came through. And just knowing from my paddling background and seeing what was possible and just knowing like, bro, this is going to be epic. This is going to be amazing. So we went out by a lighthouse, Diamond Head Lighthouse, and we were trying to see how far we could go down. And at first it was a complete failure because there was so much water moving and the waves are so, you know, burly and gnarly and just so stormy that and and you know at that time you know we're still like really greenhorn and novice and rookie that you know we didn't realize how much current and you know the under undertow of all the weight all of all the water moving off the reef and especially being so stormy like that and it's so turbulent that you could barely paddle and so it was like almost impossible to catch a chip so we didn't even, you know, it was probably the best conditions possible, but we just couldn't catch a wave. And then, you know, at looking back, I just remember thinking like, wow, like, shoot, that would be awesome. Like if we could, because there were like breaking waves, you know, wind swells going down the coast. So I'm like, for sure we can ride it. We just got to figure out how we're going to get out there, you know? And, you know, we want to do it the no assistance way, right. Just by catching a wave and getting out there. Cause in that sense, it's, the most liveliest way and experience and form to do it is, you know, un- unassisted, right? And that's where all the emotions and energies are, in my opinion, heightened, just pure, right? Yeah. Because, you know, like we will go with on days, you know, like uh, on our days off or just, you know, like if a friend has a personal ski and we'll get out there and it's fun and you open up, it's different. Like you're surfing and you're doing big cutbacks and stuff because, you know, you have a, a you know, you have basically an escort boat or, or somebody following you and it's entirely safe. But when you're out there and everything is so critical and you're thinking of the consequence and you're, you have this ultra focus and adrenaline and, and just like concentration that, you know, like there's nothing like it, you know, and it's hard to explain, but it's, and, and hearing Scotty's referencing his uh, podcast from Wago, it's gotta be the ultimate flow state. You know, you're not thinking about anything else other than what's in front of you and what's in front of you is going to be gone in three seconds. So it's like, it's constant, you know, and it's, you're playing chess with the ocean, 3d chess with the ocean and you know, the board is moving and it's awesome. So yeah, after that failure, 
you know, we waited for another day. We'd catch a wave and then make it down the coast, probably 100 to 200 yards, and we would be ecstatic. Because like, if you understand that stretch of the coast, the wind swell, and you're kind of out there in the raw elements of the ocean, and it's very close to the, the surf line. So it gave us or gave me like a glimmer of hope being like, like, this is possible. Like, you know, like maybe one day we'll try from Kaiko's and see how far we could come down. And, you know, even if you made it from Kaiko's to Kaimana in like one day, but it took you, you know, like eight to 10, like reachips or attempts, that was still a huge accomplishment, you know, to whereas now like our, you know, like the standard is to make it in one shot. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a fall, it's like a, it's a flaw, a flawed run, or it's a, you, you made an error. How, how um, far is that run? How long does it take you? It's God, you know, it's maybe two and a half to three miles. And if we're on like our top gear and a good day, it's anywhere from seven to like nine and a half minutes of just pure riding. And it's awesome. And it's fun. But yeah, I, I remember Scotty and Jack. And then I think that summer lift came out with their high aspect line and that was a game changer. Well, actually, I think I remember Jack, he used to ride for in the very early days, a signature, him and Heymana or Heymana still rides her signature and had made it from Lighthouse over to Suicides, which felt like an eternity back in those days, right? Because we were, we were celebrating going a hundred yards and he had made it probably a mile down the coast. And I was like, this freaking ground, like, okay, it's on bro. You know, like, but I was, you know, still on the surf 250, which is the biggest wing. So you had really great lift, but it was slower and a little bit more laborious to pump. So you had to be a little bit more, a little bit more in tune and in flow with the bumps. And that's what I kind of knew that I had that experience of just being able to recognize and feel and, and kind of know the direction of which way I wanted to go. I just needed to allow my foil sensitivities and my foil like everything like your stance your height off the water your speed that you're going and trying to keep away from that that stalling speed i knew i had all the experience i just needed to wait for all those capabilities to catch up to par to jack guys's abilities and then i knew it, it would be possible but like i said the high aspects came out and you're able to hide all those flaws in your foiling game and rely on the extra glide of the high aspect that once those things came out, it was, you know, we were making Kaikos in one shot and it was the most amazing ride. You know, I was there to watch Scotty and Jack and I believe Adam, Adam was riding a unifoil, one of their first makes from Kaikos Abu to Blackmore. And we were so pumped and so excited. It was so exciting. And then I was so stoked for them. And I just knew that, you know, like this was it, this was going to be it. And I remember, and at that time too, like I could see those guys and that's, what's cool now is like, we look at it and downwinding there's, you know, there's basically two methods, right? I mean, there's like the, there's the most efficient method where you're kind of just pumping and it's point A to point B you're going as fast as you can. You're pumping over bumps, but Jack and uh, Scotty, they've, they approached the downwinding from a surfer's uh, standpoint. Right. So I remember, you know, watching them and almost not like, um, not looking down at it, but, but just like analyzing them and be like, ha, well, they missed that bump or ha, 
why are they looking back? They're looking back when they should be looking forward, you know, or what, why is he doing a turn? You know, like, why is he pumping a little like side shore or upwind even, you know, but what I didn't realize at that time is that they came from obviously the highest surf foiling background that they're basically surfing the whole way. Like it's a wave. Right. And it turns out that's a very efficient way too, because as you're burning speed on the bump and doing big cutbacks, you're basically rebounding off your cutback right back into a energy source. Whereas the method that I was doing, it, it might've been faster, but it's a little bit more laborious because you're just kind of pumping the whole time. And, you know, it's still efficient. You're resting when you need to rest, but it's, it's like kind of like race mode, you know? And yeah, it's like, it was almost like, you know, like I could say that's one of the things that I've learned from those guys for sure is that like, you know, there's two modes or there's two methods to enjoy the downwinding and their, their way is definitely super fun. Cause when you're doing big roundhouse cutbacks or snaps in the middle of the ocean, you know, we were probably, you know, like at this time, not we in general, but like this part of time, anyone participating in downwinding first time ever that we're doing a roundhouse or a cutback in the middle of the ocean. And that's what was so cool and so epic about it, you know, and just to watch that. And that's, and like I said, because I have that background from canoe paddling and canoe racing, and, you know, I spent thousands of hours out there in the ocean, reading, analyzing bumps and, you know, finding them fastest way possible and learning how to be efficient and just in that race mode. And I would have never thought that there would be something like this. And I can tell you this, like I said, this is, the best way to enjoy the ocean in, in, in what we're doing, you know, in foil downwinding. And it's been amazing to see that kind of grow. And like I said, it's, I remember being at that time. And like I said, I was watching these guys and just thinking like, like, even though this is such a brand new sport and it being like, maybe like people don't understand how critical or how high level or how elite this is. I got to start like, I got to start like, you know, taking video because this is like, this is epic, you know, like it needs to be documented what these guys are doing. And so that's how I started uh, Voyager Foiler just because I knew and I saw and I could see the potential of how we could kind of progress into downwinding. And like I said, it's kind of, and I said this to, you know, a whole bunch of people, like I'm, if I'm talking to my old paddler buddies or my my friends who surf and it's like, dude, this is the perfect cross of both worlds, right? Like we grew up as surfers and we get into canoe paddling and we, and we're out there chasing the ocean, catching riding swells. And now we're able to do it in one sport. And then, you know, like we have the best surfer in the world and John Florence, he loves downwinding, you know, over in Tahiti, Tahiti is a big scene too, where they love downwinding too. One of the best paddlers, most accomplished paddlers in Tahiti. And in, if you don't know, Tahiti is like, you know, the paddling mecca of the world where the sport of paddling is like an NFL to them. But anyways, there, one of their top paddlers loves downwinding. So that was always my thing is I was always trying to convince all my friends who were surfers and who were paddlers. I'm like, look, we got John Florence, best surfer in the world. He downwinds. We got Steve Teotata, the best paddler in the world. He loves downwinding. Like this is, it's almost like, you know, like, 
we're almost like destined to do this. And this is like, it sounds weird, but I look back and I reflect back and growing up a surfer and then spending the last 15 years of my life paddling and being out there in the raw element of the open ocean prepared me to, to do what I'm doing. And I love it, you know, and it's, it couldn't be more meant to be. So amazing, man. My, my story is similar in that <clears throat> I lived in Costa Rica for 11 years and then had to move back for like wife health reasons. She's great now. I've awesome. talked about that on the show before, but coming back to Florida after living with good waves, it was the worst thing ever. And then foiling magically appeared. Mm-hmm. And now all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's just epic most days. And I think my <laughs> wife's complaint, family's complaint is just, just too good all the time. I'm in the ocean all the time. <laughs> yeah. So and that's wild. what, it, that's, that's what it is. It's just getting into the ocean more often. I remember, you know, being as a lifeguard and, and being on the beach and I could probably think that in a, in the season of the summertime, and if it was a good summer, I would maybe surf 30 times in the summertime on a shortboard, right? Because, you know, we don't get a lot of great days, probably less than 30 times, probably 12 to 18 times or something, maybe, you know, and then even how much you're enjoying it, because, you know, we're like, we want it to be you know, three to four foot Hawaiian macking shoreboardable where you're not really having to gravel and just thinking and reflecting how little that we enjoy the ocean, the way that we want to enjoy it. And then now that we're foilers, you know, like you said, it could be every day is firing on the foil, yep. you know, and that's, what's beautiful about it. You know, if it's flat, you're beach starting. If there's little waves, you're surfing. If it's windy, you're out there in the wind, you know, and it's, you know, Made, made me an overall happier person being in the water every day. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely couldn't agree more. L- let's talk about your experience paddling mm-hmm. and the amount of time that you have spent in open ocean and how that has maybe let you see the ocean differently than maybe other folks in downwind. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? And a little story here. Kahi was here in Florida and we got to record in person. It was amazing. But before yeah, that, we actually got to run out back and we had my boat and a little ski out back and it was a pretty bad day, but I got to watch, I was driving the boat or the ski and got to watch how Kahi approached energy in the ocean. And it was very mm-hmm. different than we were approaching it coming from our runners are mostly in and out of surf, right? Like it is a right. lot of pumping. Like I didn't realize until I kind of got on the wing and I was getting now on the wing, I'm getting out a half mile, three quarters of a mile sometimes, which I don't like, but it seems to happen to me. And it's just a very different ocean. It's like, it's a very cool way to approach it. And there's so much more energy once you don't have the influence of, of the sandbank or the reef or whatever. But so I got to see, I got to learn so much from watching how Kahi was approaching bumps and energy and lines. And I think that with your background, you probably have a very unique, very deep understanding of all that. How do you see it? Can you talk me through what you're seeing and what you're looking for and and maybe what other people are missing? For sure. So a little bit of the background. Yeah. Like, like I said, probably in high school, I started uh, canoe paddling at a competitive level. And at that time, the goal was to do Molokai solo, which is a 33 mile channel crossing race from Molokai to Oahu. So obviously you have to train and prepare your body to do that. And one of the, one of the coolest like allures to paddling 
was is that you didn't need to be the biggest or the strongest guy or have the prettiest technique because everyone has a different technique or form or method of the way they paddle. But if you could learn to read the ocean, you could beat these guys with big muscles. And to me, that was like the coolest thing because at that time there was this guy, he's in probably like the Michael Jordan of canoe paddling. His name is Corel Tresnak Jr. And he won the Molokai solo when he was 18 years old, which is, you know, pretty unreal. And he won, you know, six or seven times. And he was a legend in canoe paddling because he had just had a very special understanding of how to catch and ride waves, right? And, you know, being out there in the ocean with, you know, high level paddlers. And like I said, I, you know, I owe everything to the guys who brought me up, you know, like when I was first starting, I would go out with my dad, right? And he and his gang, right? So they're all retired guys. They're like in their fifties and they were going on a Hawaii Kai run every day, which is an eight mile downwind run. And it's basically further up from the Kaikos run that we do. They start off in Manaloa Bay, across the bay, and then they come and do the Kaikos run and finish at Kaimana Beach. Anyways, I would go with them and, you know, I was 16, 17 years old, big, strong boy, thought I was tough. And these guys were blasting me by like, probably like miles. I couldn't see my dad. Uh, I had one of their wives who was a paddler too. And she was like, kind of like staying with me and being polite. And like, I was yanking as hard as I can. And she was like, la, 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 just like catching and riding waves. And I was just like, oh my, like, what is this? You know, like, what is this sorcery? You know, like it was crazy. And that kind of like opened my eyes to, you know, the art of downwinding and navigating. And like I said, that was the biggest to me when I first decided to really kind of pursue and train for the Molokai. Cause I, okay, if I want to get good, I need to get out there and learn how to surf the bumps. Right. Cause anyone could lift weights and anybody can, you know, get really fit and get into shape. Uh, but, you know, like I want to develop the skill set of learning how to read the water. So, and then I could still get into shape and fall back and getting into shape. So, you know, I was real competitive. And one of the ways I did that is um, I would go up and I would train out of Hawaii Kai and go up towards Sandy Beach or up towards Hanama Bay and then surf the bumps back down. If you're in Hawaii, you know that or I'll explain it is that's some of the roughest waters in Hawaii because it's right off the PEV coast where you have these big, you know, burly ocean, deep water, deep blue ocean swells that run in from the Kaivi channel and it hits the cliffs off of Portlock and Hanama Bay and, you know, Lanai Lookout and everything. So you just basically have the most chaotic water. Um, and then also you have, you know, it's relatively shallow for deep water terms because there's, you know, different ledges out there. So not only you have crazy, you know, currents with the tide swings, but it stacks up and it gets gnarly like a witch's brew out there. But, you know, somebody had mentored me and told me, hey, you want to learn how to surf? You got to get out there as much as you can. I get out there and train a lot. And that was my whole mentality is... If I could learn how to read and decipher this water, then, you know, getting out into a clean open bay, which is the Hawaii Chiron, that would be kind of everything, you know, it would make it a lot easier, right? It's once you learn how to do a Rubik's cube the first time, then you're going to know how to do it, you know? So I spent a lot of time out there and it was crazy. It was wild. It was very tippy on the canoe and it was scary, you know, but just dedicating that time to do that 
And it helped me so much so that when I got back to, you know, going down the coast and, and it just, everything just opens up a lot better. If I could explain it for downwinding purposes. And like I said, there's so much variables, you know, it's just, I can't even explain it. Like if I were to sit down and look at videos with people like, Hey, this is what you want to look for this and that. Like, you know, there's, it's the most, maybe not the most popular thing that someone wants to hear, but it's like, ah, you just got to just get out there and, and put some time in. There's no shortcut, you know? But like I said, there's so much influences that it's going to make the water and the bumps run, which is tides, wind direction, swell direction, the depth of the water, you know? Over in Kaikos, our coastal run, it's relatively shallow, so the bumps stack up and they're a little bit more defined. But if you were to be outside or up in the bay where it's, it's deeper the bumps move faster and they disappear faster. And then if we're up over at Portlock where, you know, you have crazy backwash, it's, you know, it's a lot more chaotic, but if I were to keep it simple and like I said, I have a few videos up on the Voyager page. It's probably buried way down, but I want a couple of those IGTV videos and even Kahi has a great one, what you're looking for. But basically if you're chasing the backs of a bump that's what you want to be looking forward you're chasing the backs of wave that's why you know like my first critique of seeing jack or scotty is that they would always be looking back or looking where to go whereas everything is developing and forming right in front of you so as long as you chase the backs of the waves you all want to stay high on the troughs because if you drop to the bottom and if you don't have a game plan of where to go whether you're peeling off or thinking that you have enough speed to blast through and go up and over you know you're gonna stall out and go down so Look forward, chase the backs of bumps, approach things at angles, stay high on the trough, and then just recognizing, you know, how and where to use groundswell. Groundswells in our side of town runs towards shore and the windswells run down the coast. So it's kind of like you got like a little, an, a bonus ride. Whereas say on the east side of Wahoo, the groundswells move in the same direction of the wind. And that's even better. It's amazing. But yeah, like, like I said, I've been, I, I dedicated myself to learning the ocean. So if I were to tie it back, it's, you know, it sounds so complex, but it's, it's not anyone and everyone can downwind. You don't need to be an experienced paddler to downwind. Everyone's going to learn it. You just got to dedicate your, yourself and your time to it. I would say the advantage of, you know, being a paddler is that you've seen the different patterns and it's just like it's making constant decisions on which way you want to go you know i still can't say because you know it's i'm always humble to the ocean and i always respect the ocean i don't say i know which is the best way or this or that you know you know but i get lucky making the right decision you know like you know i still make errors but it's just seeing patterns and seeing how you can apply your experience and, you know, making it the whole way without falling out. And that's the fun thing, you know? So, but then also, like I said, I've been, you know, I've done some races in California. I've done some races in Tahiti, New Zealand, Outer Island. I've been to Gorge. And so that's what's cool. It's each area has different variables. So it's a different application, but I think with me being on the water all those years of chasing bumps and seeing all those patterns and making all those micro decisions every time, you know, maybe, maybe I have a little bit of an edge. Like if I were to go to Florida, 
maybe I would notice the finer intricacies of the decision-making on how to be a little bit more efficient rather than, you know, resorting to using your foil skills of pumping and, and, you know, or physical skills of cardio. Right. And to me, that's probably the most fascinating thing about Darwin foiling is not only are you computing at a high level of what you're seeing and how you're going to navigate and is this the right way to go or is this the decision I want to make? But simultaneously, you're gathering data from your, how's my lift? How's my speed? Do I need to pump? How's my balance? How's my stance? You know? So it's just two systems going at once. And so that's why I would recommend for people to, you know, if you want to get into downwinding, get really proficient in the surf. You know, like for you yourself, you rip. You're super proficient in the surf. We see it. So guarantee you can get out there and down and you have, you know? So it's, like I said, that's the first thing you want to check off your board because the more efficient you can be, you know, on your feet with the foil under you and and you've ridden that bull, then you can go out there and and conquer and and attempt that that down in the ocean with such a complex field of moving, you know? It's such a beautiful game, right? Um, Like it's such a complex, like there's so much happening. And something you said earlier about the consequence on the runs and and the deep flow states, you know, like I study flow a lot and, you know, I do podcasts on flow every once in a while and consequence is a flow multiplier. And that doesn't need to be, you know, danger that you're going to die. It could also mean that you're going to be a mile offshore. You're performing in front of a crowd or any of these other things. And so Consequence is a, a huge flow multiplier, as is all of the variables that you're just talking about there about what you're navigating, you know, all the decision-making process. You're putting yourself in such a mentally intense state, both from, you know, the managing of the foil to the decision-making to the fact that if you fall, you got a long, scary paddle back in. And that's mm. what creates, you know, and the fine margins too. I mean, in foil, right. you work on really fine margins, both speed and touch points and foils and all that kind of stuff. It's it's fantastic. It's so fun. I want to switch gears a little bit and you're a lifeguard. Yep. And there has been, I don't know if you saw like the petitions going around or the Instagram posts about, you know, certain breaks in Australia now, maybe trying to regulate foiling. I know. I know. How, How dangerous do you think foiling is? What do you think needs to be done? If anything about that, how do you see it? wearing both hats so you know we like to being lifeguards in Waikiki you know one of the most hectic spots perhaps in the world for surfing being that you know it's one of the friendliest places to learn how to surf but also the most dangerous because you have the factor of human beings who don't know how to ride and they're just kicking out the boards and everything and then now we're adding foiling to that mix it's just one of those things where if you're looking on the outside in foiling looks like the most dangerous thing the most dangerous thing possible because you can slice somebody's head off it appears that way or if you're you know i mean obviously for if you're learning how to foil i would recommend going to a place that's safe i mean I remember being that places like I would get overly anxious. I didn't want to be around anybody uh, foiling because I didn't have control. Right. And 
you know, the actually the person in, in the greatest danger is the person foiling themselves. Right. Absolutely. Um, but as we progress and get better, you know, we don't have those scary falls anymore, those dangerous falls or the things flying at you. I mean, I'm you guys do, cause you guys do radical, crazy, you know, whitewater hitting stuff, you know, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. It came up in one of our group chats, how they're trying to organize and ban and, or, you know, regulate foiling. And, you know, we can make a case that, you know, there's never been a recorded incident or injury to another person in the lineup ever from a foil, from a, you know, a foil vessel. Whereas, you know, there's surfing incidents that happen every day. You know, there's rogue longboards through the lineup nonstop, right? Like there's canoes, there's catamarans with motors on them and somehow foiling. And then also too, you have to understand and realize that when you're able to see and recognize that somebody who's foiling, I mean, yeah, there could be a freak accident, but I guarantee you that person on the foil has got to be one of the most or high experienced, you know, surf or water sport person out there. Right. Because like, if you don't know how to surf, you're not going to learn how to fall. You need to be in a, you know, surfing for a few years at the very least in order to learn how to foil. Right. So being around, it's funny. Yeah. Because, you know, we deal with it a lot, you know, foiling in Waikiki where people ask questions or they think we're dangerous. I've been surfing my whole life and, you know, I've been foiling for the last few years and this visitor is going to tell me that I'm unsafe and dangerous. (laughs) And this is their day two or day three surfing, you know, and it's just, it's very frustrating. But like I said, there hasn't ever been a recorded injury or incident from a foil in Waikiki or in town really. And yeah, most injuries occur to the rider itself. And then also too, it's like, if you fall off your board and sometimes if it will have that ghost ride moment where it's riding on its own, there's not enough inertia for it to, I feel like maybe harm or endanger somebody, right. It'll just drop out. And, you know, I mean, I know that your guys' wings are super sharp, but I see if I I feel like if you very, if you understand at a very high level of foiling and what it's like and this and that, and your experience, you know, all of us, we can vouch that it's safe for it to coexist out in the surf lineup, but it depends where your surf lineup is. I'm, it's funny because there's always a mentality of, you know, hating on the foliage for catching waves, but it's like, you know, we're, we're not really disturbing the waves itself. There's no wake, you know, like, you know, most of us will only surf for like 20 minutes to 40 minutes just out of pure exhaustion. I just think, you know, there's always going to be people grumbling and, you know, trying to find ways to, uh, to manage it. And <laughs> this is my opinion, but ultimately I think they're being greedy because they're not catching waves and they want to catch waves again or, you know, they don't want all the space taken up. And, but like I said, I understand, like, like I said, if, and, and we kind of self-manage it when we see it is if we see somebody who's very inexperienced foiling, you know, we'll go ahead and tell them, Hey, like maybe go out to pops and Hey, maybe go check out tongs where there's a lot more space and, you know, it's not so condensed. And, uh, you know, so I think most times, like I said, it's, there's really no danger to anybody else rather than the rider itself. And then usually the riders are probably more conscientious about safety for themselves and for other people. So I don't think it's a, I don't think foiling is reckless. 
And I, you know, not to get into the politics of it, but I just think, you know, there's just people grumbling out there in the lineups and there's always going to be people grumbling. And so they want to throttle down our fun and enjoyment, you know? I think it's a lot of fear of the unknown too. Yeah. It's it's because they they don't understand. And like I said, myself or yourself, you know, like we understand the dangers and we've went through everything. And, you know, ultimately we have probably the most control, you know, when we're out there surfing in comparison to the person on the soft top, you know? So it's, like I said, it's frustrating, but you know, you can't really convince somebody because they don't have that experience just as you acknowledge. What do you think about kind of like the rules of surfing where on a foil, you're double, triple dipping priority, all of that. I had an interesting conversation with Kane the other day and some of the Maui guys are talking about how they're going to, you know, behave, I guess, or in more crowded lineups and the more surf spots and basically always seating way to someone catching a wave will have priority mm. over someone pumping back out like and limiting themselves to maybe one connection instead of running around. And that's all like, I'm sure very early thoughts and Kane and I were just kind of talking about it, but like, how do you guys see it? How do you self-regulate in a crowded lineup? Right. So true. Like I think, we were trying to like think about that because I, I know that they wanted to run a foil in Waikiki one time. And we we're thinking about like, well, how do you judge someone surfing or how do you judge the connecting back out? And it's interesting because there's even in this aspect of foiling, it's so infantile where, you know, think about etiquette, this and that, you know, how are you going to stay out of people's way? Shoot. I don't know if I had to say anything like it's the places that we foil, it's very spread out. So the wave is very spread out. It's not like it's a very tight takeoff spot. And we're bouncing around all over the lineup. So it's not like we're going out and catching every set wave that's breaking in the exact same spot, robbing a surfer that's out there. And then also, you know, like we're riding way off over into the face, not really in the pocket too much, just staying away from people. And I think it's good because that's what's cool about the foils. You're not really creating wake or disturbing how the wave will break. But, you know, if it were a surf spot where the takeoff spot is very small and tight and there's kind of like a pecking order or a line i could see that being an issue for sure if like say for example if i was like say kaisers you know yep. that's a very pop very popular foiling spot and it take off spots you know really really tight out there and at the peak of a wave it's actually you know pretty steep and it, and it barrels out there but for me out of my own personal etiquette i would just probably just bounce around on the inside and not really take not really take a wave out the back too often because that's what's great about foiling is we don't need we don't need large waves to enjoy the ride you know but yeah i don't know i don't know how i would organize that into a structured etiquette model you know that that might just be my personal preference i'm never really giving it thought because you know like I, the place that i foil frequently you know, like I, it goes over my head because I don't feel bad about catching waves amongst tourists or visitors or beginner surfers. You know, I, I don't like to, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not an, it's a non-issue for me. It's a non-issue for us here too. I mean, there's endless sandbanks in Florida. Yeah, you know, It seems like kinda... there's so much space too. Yeah. Like where there's, yeah. every time I see you and that other guy foiling, my productions guy, Yeah, Mike. It, just, it looks empty every time. I'm like, whoa, these guys are scoring every time, you know? Yep. We just picked a spot. I just happened to live like at a certain 
like street and that's where we foil. And he's got the whole St. August. I'm in Jacksonville. He's got St. August. It's about a half an hour apart. Uh-huh. It's kind of the same thing. And then the runners right. just do, I mean, we pass the pier, which all the kids are surfing down there. You know, everybody's surfing. Right. We just, we're kind of outside of the pier normally when we yeah. go by. And yeah, it's easy. I got to give an apology real quick on the podcast. Cause I have Andy from proper surfboards. I, I designed boards and I'm doing some prototypes. I got this trip to Costa Rica Been working on this board for a while. And he was just standing in line trying to ship me these boards texting me. And I've got all my do not disturbs on. So <laughs> I apologize, dude. I was on a podcast and I'll make it right. But he just waited for me for like, I don't know, 45 minutes at FedEx trying to send me boards, waiting to see what I wanted. Oh, so, no. I'm sorry, buddy. I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel really bad. I just like, it's like, I went, oh man. Anyways. Yeah. So let's dive into a couple, how much time you got? We're over the hour mark now. I don't want to abuse your time. I know that you're big. Yeah, I got time. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. let's see what we didn't cover. Jack from town says, what is a Voyager? What is a Voyager? Okay. Well, like I said, I, I feel like that could be a super deep or super shallow deep, response. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah. So being a Polynesian in Hawaii, right? That's our, that's kind of in our blood. And that's our ancestry is that these Polynesians voyage throughout the Pacific and were some of the greatest underdogs in uh, voyaging history, you know, sailing a hundred years, several hundred years before Christopher Columbus and all and all those big names and, you know, voyaging and navigation being that they did it in canoes, you know, Hawaiian voyaging canoes and being that they, you know, followed celestial navigation. And so it was, it's an amazing art and it's almost, it was almost a lost art. That's why we, the Hokulea is so special to us here in Hawaii because they were able to regain and recapture that, that special, that art form of navigating and voyaging. So to me, like I remember when I started Voyager Foiler and I've explained it earlier, and that's what's amazing and beautiful about this sport now. It's surfing's most innovative technology in the hydrofoil, blending with the most ancient form of and, and practice of ocean navigating. And it's just being able to read and make decisions and making consecutive good decisions in a row in order to traverse the sea and get from point A to point B with success. Right. And so to me, it's, you know, and then Kaniala Lyman, right. Who's his mother was one of the original members on the Hokulea. So voyaging to him is definitely a lot more meaningful and special. And if you watch that one video, he gets into it and he talks about how, you know, at first he was kind of like laughing or just kind of like would disregard like how voyagers, how, the throwing that term around pretty lightly because it, like I said, it was so, it was so powerful and meaningful to him because that's what a Voyager is. You know, it's almost like a way of life to traverse the sea. And he shared like a beautiful Hawaiian proverb, which is or to cross the sea, like a bird, you know, with such grace and just being able to fly and flow through that. And like I said, with the surf technology that we have, we're able to cross the sea like a bird and voyage and traverse the sea in that manner. Um, and that would be the deep way to think about it. But, you know, if we're just voyaging, we just voyage from Kaikos to Kaimana Beach and we make it in one shot and we're stoked. We just went on a little mini voyage, you know? And, you know, like, like I said earlier in the podcast, it's like, even if you made it 
in 10 attempts and you had 10 rechip ins and it took you, you know, three, sometimes it takes people three hours to make it down the coast of two and a half to three miles. That for sure is definitely a voyage in itself too. It's, it's an accomplishment of starting at one place and ending at, ending at another for sure. Awesome. My buddy, Rob Karn, good friend here said aliens. I don't know if that means anything to you. I don't know if you know, Rob, <laughs> I don't know, Rob. I don't know. I don't know what the alien. I don't know if, if alien references about if your talents are alien. Oh, alien! No, like I said, there's no secret. You just got to get out there. The biggest thing you have to conquer is your ego, and I think everyone's in such a rush to to get out there and do the voyaging with all the videos that we see or that we post. Everyone sees the videos and wants to be ripping like that, you know. But you just have to get out there and try. And, you know, looking back at some of the guys in our crew, like some of the guys who were just so strong willed to do it and accomplishment when they were learning and on the come up, you know, guys like Kavika, you know, he was trying all the time. He'd be falling three, four times a run, but like he was coming every day, you know, so you got to tip your hat off to him. Even Kahi was struggling super hard at first. And I think at, at that time too, he was at the very top of, you know, foiling because he was, like I said, he was the man because he was able to pump back out and do like little cutties, which is super high level, you know, three, four years ago. So for him to like, you know, not be able to make it, you know, I could see that he was struggling with that, but look at him now. He's like one of the strongest guys for sure. You know, my buddies that I follow with, you know, pretty frequently, Kikai and Moses, those guys too, you know, like they would have shockers all the time, you know, like, and you know, get super emotional, like very upset. I quit. I saw all my stuff. Like, F this, you know, but I think overall, like it's just getting out there and, and doing it and paying your dues, eating the pie and just sticking with it because it's very worth it. In the end. if you were to ask anybody, anyone who voyages, it's the best and the most funnest thing to do when it's on best surfer in the world does it. And the best canoe paddle in the world does it, you know, it's one of the most unique thrills out there for sure. All right. I got two more good ones that I want to, and a lot of people asked about this one, so I'm not going to credit everybody, but what about your transition from prone to sup? And that's something that oh, I'm yeah. right now too. So I start, I learned I did, sup and now yeah. I'm going back to it for catching bumps. So yeah, this'd be cool. So I saw your board that you posted that Kalama board looks sick. It's epic. Uh, I love it. She goes good. What are the dims on that one? It's a six, four, 24. Shout out Dave for hooking that up. Yeah, Dave's. He's yeah, Dave. Love Dave. He's rad. Yep. So, so when I got a sup, it was a full on test of the restart button. I was an absolute kook and white belt all over again. The first time I got, a, and like I said, you know, uh, coming from a canoe paddler background, you know, I was a loyal canoe paddler and, you know, canoe paddling and OC1s and, and surf skis kayaks are at, we're at the top of the food chain of the downwind sports, right? Probably you have the kayaks and the, and the OC ones being the fastest. The next fastest was the stand up, and then the slowest is the prone paddle boards, right? But you know, like I said, I was a surfer too, and I would see those guys on the uh, stand up, and you know, like they kind of look cool, but it didn't because those fourteen foot long boards, it was just an obstacle, and they weren't surfing the ocean in the way that we are. And I could just, I just couldn't get over it. I would never had any interest in stand up paddling. And if, you know, if I was going to surf, it was going to be on a surfboard and not a stand up paddle. Whereas, you know, like normally you would think like, Hey, this guy paddles and he surfs like this might be the, the, the best sport for him, you know? And 
I was like, nah, negative. I'm going to stick to surfing and I'm going to stick to paddling. But when I had made a trip to go up to the gorge and my buddy Christian Bradley was going to take care of me and, and get into this. And, you know, I had watched Eric and, and Aaron, those guys had gone up to the gorge and just seeing how amazing that was for the sport of the downwinding. I was like, I got to go. I got to try. You know, I had a uh, procrastinate and probably with a week out from my trip, I'm like, okay, I should, probably should, I probably should get on stand up and try and get acclimated. And my first run, I didn't even go out in the surf lineup. I was like, let's just go stomp this out. Now I'm going to go from Kaiko's. I'm going to try and paddle into a wave or paddle into a bump. And if I can, I'll catch a wave and just pump down the coast. And like I said, normally that runs seven to nine minutes for us. And it took me two and a half hours on the standup. So I had absolutely pressed the restart button. I couldn't even stand up. I'd stand up, I'd paddle, and I'd spin 180 degrees and thought that this was completely impossible, you know? And then I'd get up and I'd paddle. And it's like, there's no way I'm generating enough speed to catch a bump and get up onto foil, you know? And, you know, and then I was like, okay, let me just catch a bump let me paddle into the surf lineup and catch a wave. And then just even adjusting to try and stand up and with a paddle. And then my, my sweet spot of my feet are off. I could not figure it out. And two and a half hours later, I was devastated, shocked and in disbelief. I was like, there's no way I'm getting this before the gorge. I went back into the surf. I was made huge progress because now I could stand up on the board and take four or five strokes and go straight. I was like, this is a huge victory. And then a couple of days later, I was able to catch waves. I was like, it's on. Let's go. I'm ready for the gorge. Got up to the gorge and going from lake calm waters uh, in Waikiki catching waves is a very different story than being out there in the bump where you're trying to stabilize on a standup where my balance is already not good, right? Because, you know, like not being, having any stand-up background at all, stand-up paddling on a 12-foot rescue board would kind of, I'd be a little bit like shaky, like, ooh, I can do this, but this is a little wonky, you know? But, and now I'm on a six-foot board, you know, with a foil underneath and I'm trying to, you know, I can barely go straight, I can barely balance. And now I have all this texture and turbulence in the water hitting me from all directions. And I mean, probably you can understand this too, is like being a stand-up paddler. I think the one thing you don't, when you feel maybe the most unstable is when a wave comes from behind you and hits you and it kind of maybe yep. pearls your nose or, you know, it throws off your balance. And so I go all the way up to the gorge. I can't even do it. It was so funny. I got up there and unpacking my gear and there's like a whole bunch of old geezer uncle guys they're like regulars. They're sitting at a picnic table. And I was like, telling them, like, yeah, I'm from Hawaii. I'm going to try downwind, you know, got my Kalama board. Like, yeah. And then it's so funny. They're like, Oh, holy. Hey guys, we got a real Hawaiian here. Like he's, he's into this foil. And they, you know, it's funny. They all got like their, their kite foils or, you know, wing dings or, you know, like, or even just all the other kite or the wind, you know, sport disciplines of, you know, kite surfing, wind surfing and all that. But anyways, they were like, they were stoked like, Oh, we got a real Hawaiian here. And you know, I get out there and I'm like struggling for 45 minutes. I can't even stand on the board. <laughs> it's funny. My wife is on the beach and with my kids and like the guy goes up to the guy goes up to my wife. He's like, Hey, is he, is he all right out there? And I just, I was like, Oh man, I was so shame. And like, it was so funny, but like, you know what, like looking back, that's, what's necessary to, uh, 
<laughs> to kind of progress and which makes the accomplishment like so much sweeter and satisfying. So, and, and then also like, you know, the board that I was on was the Dave Kalama board and it's a great board. And I'm sure we could get into all that design stuff, but you know, but ever since I came back to Hawaii after that, I didn't even foil the gorge. Uh, conditions weren't that great either. It was probably 15 miles per hour. So it wasn't the friendliest, but it was also, I wasn't anywhere near or close to popping up from um, paddling into a bump. Came back to Hawaii and then I popped up once on a Kaikos run and then been able to do it ever since. I'm still learning and still getting better. And still, and that's, to me, that's what's exciting is I started at zero and was learning the whole way and experienced all these stages of checkpoints that now have helped me be where I want to be in um, the sport of stand-up before me. And to me, like I said, I I had no interest or I had no motivation to get into it at all. But if I were to compare it to prone paddling versus stand-up paddling, you just know that you could go on real voyaging on a stand-up paddle. You know, you could do Hawaii Kai runs easily without stress or anxiety, without consequence. We could go further. We could do channel crossings. We could do all kinds of stuff, you know, and in my opinion, you know, whenever I get back on the prone, it's fun. And it's just like a different approach and a different method. You know, I'm looking at lines and, you know, trying to do cutbacks. And when I'm on the standup, it's just a pure voyaging vessel. Like where I'm almost back in that, that race mode mm-hmm. where I am looking at is how can I be the most, the fastest and the most efficient possible efficient like method or way possible. And if you were to experience it for, for anyone who standups and they can attest to it, it's just, there's like a different energy of inertia and stability at high speeds that you don't experience on the prone, which opens up a door in itself. And you have all that swing weight forward too. So you're able to kind of, you know, like conquer those high speeds and carry it using less energy. Whereas on the prone, we would be like, you know, our legs would be burning from trying to keep it from breaching. Mm-hmm. So in that way, you're able to go further distances, longer distances and go on these real voyages. And like I said, there's also that great sense of accomplishment um, being that you were able to get started by yourself unassisted and it's just pure sustainability, you know? And then it's also, you still kind of, it's still, I, I don't want to say it's still critical, because, I mean, you try to avoid popping up as much as possible. Like if we were to fall and breach, you know, we would just get up and paddle start again. But you try to avoid it because it, it is probably one of the most challenging things that you can do. So it still has an element of criticalness, but it's like the times that I've done and completed the Hawaii Kai run, if we were to do it on our prone and fall, it's a 45 minute to an hour paddle in to reach ship. So, and you're out there on the boonies on a four foot board Stingray on a stick, you know, tons of sharks everywhere. So it's definitely critical. Whereas on the stand-up, once you're up and going, it's fun because you don't have that same fear and anxiety and you're enjoying the run way more. You're way more relaxed. You're thinking clear. Your decision-making is better because you're thinking clear and you're relaxed. And it's in a sense, yeah, like way more enjoyable and way more easier because your heart rate's not so high and you don't have all these crazy thoughts in your head. And so that's what I like about it too. Yeah. You, you know, one thing that I like about it, because I went, I started, I, so I did a lot of sub surfing before I got into foil surfing. And that was basically to access all these reef breaks in Costa Rica that no one really surfed that were just way out there. And so 
kind mm-hmm. of figured out this hack where I could just surf by myself all the time. It's awesome. Right. And then I learned to foil on a sup and did that until it got in the way of pumping. There was just this right. one day. It was just like, I'm pumping so good. Now the board's in the way. I don't need to paddle anymore. It slows me down. I right. need to learn. And I, you know, surf prone my whole life too. So I was like, well, this is stupid. I'm going to just surf. I'm just going to go prone. And then it was like right. two years where I didn't touch a sup at all. I didn't even have a paddle anymore. And then Dave sent me that board. And it was like, I don't know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I started sup surfing it on, on it again. And it's just, it's so fun. I love how one, you can turn them way better than you'd ever think, you know? Yeah. There's that swing weight to them. Yeah. You can just lock into a turn and just crank turn. I mean, look at Dave, right? Like yeah, turns on them. It lets you catch anything. And then the other thing that's really cool is because it has so much more mass to the board. It's so much bigger. It's really easy to move your feet around and get really comfortable on longer runs. Right. You know, where on like a prone, there's so much input that's needed to keep everything balanced. Like you were saying, you kind of less less margin of error, especially with your stance, right? You can't exactly, you know, if you pop, if you pop up and your feet in the wrong spot, you're like stressing about it. Whereas if you get up on the stand up, you got like a little bit more plank to walk. Right. Per se, you know, and I'm using that board now as well to wing on. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, like the other day I was like up on foil for over an hour, like basically just using the wing as a self-assist to get out back and then just linking into bumps and riding them back to shore, just on lock for, I don't know, like right. 15 miles of runs. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you get really I, comfortable just working with the big board and yeah, I love everything about it. It's uh, I, th- I, I think what's cool about it too, is now that, well, it's cool Maui guys and, you know, it seems like people, all the stand-up paddlers, they're like now this new crop of people getting into foiling and, and they kill it because they're they're now the guys who are able to rely and compensate on their experience as a stand-up paddler and bring that to foiling. But what I was intentionally or, or going to mention is that it's exciting because now we're, you know, like understanding what's going to make a sup work and, you know, and the equipment work for, mm-hmm. you know, where we want the boxes to be, how wide, what's the right dimensions for board? Is it length? Is it width? Is it, you know I mean? Like how are the contours going to be? And, and for me, that was one of the things I, my buddy Christian, who has that same Kalama board that I have, he just said, Hey, you need to use this board. This is the one, this is the best one I've ever tried. And he's like an experienced guy. I'm like, okay. Um, even though the board that I have, it wasn't, it was actually his prone paddleboard model. The one, the old video of you see him on his knees, right. like from a few years ago, that's the board. So the dims on my board is a 6.0, 20 inches wide and 78 liters. So it's very narrow. That's but super tippy. Yeah, it was very tippy. That's yeah. why it's like, it felt impossible. But however, it seems like my board, it's able to pop up a lot quicker mm-hmm. and it, it's very easy to pump and it, it has really good, really good glide and, and it rides very high being that it has less liters that the energy is going through and it's able to go right to the floor. And, you know, like I said, it's just cool being there, being at the place where I'm learning again, because, you know, I've tried other stand-up boards where, you know, they were so tippy or they were almost too stable, but when you paddle it, it was like, it was paddling through mud or, they didn't track enough so that it would be so hard to keep a straight line to paddle straight to catch and 
get up onto a bump by yourself with the paddle. So that's just another thing that I'm fascinated with. I feel like, you know, we've kind of know what works with our prone boards, you know, and what kind of our sweet spot is or, or the dimensions and, you know, it's pretty dialed, but it's cool to, you know, be a student and, and learn again, especially with sub. And like I said, I have no background in the sub, so it's cool to see and, and discover and figure out what works, you know? Absolutely. And something I'll say real quick is that if you're out there looking for a like prone slash stand up downwind board, because mine doubles is a prone and it's, you know, he basically made it as a prone nice. downwind and I'm using it as a sub downwind as well. But, you know, Dave kind of pioneered that whole, you know, prone downwind type of deal. And in the sport, everyone's going to start making that board now that people are talking about it. But, you know, Dave, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for being yeah. the out there doing it all. So, and, and also his boards are insanely good. So just, mm-hmm. you know, give him a look. Buy for one sure. I, that's what you're I, looking for. That was one of my biggest, everybody's about biggest, to rip them off, right? Yeah. That was, my, that was my biggest selling point or my convincing moment is because like I said, I, I was a, a paddler a lot. So I would kind of, and especially when it came to Molokai crossings and races and stuff, I would pay attention to who's winning the sup or who's winning you know, the pro and or just all the other disciplines and just, you know, Dave Kalam's a legend in himself, but he's pretty much pioneered the sport. Like you said, you know, like when he was, you know, he won the channel a few times on his own board. So he has a great understanding of what works. And, you know, that was my first epiphany when I got into stand-up paddling for downwinding and just in general for the sport. And I think my first epiphany was, you know, the, the contours and the bottom contours matter, you know, and mm-hmm. helping you track straight, giving you, you know, ac- acceleration speed, balance and stability, just finding. And, and like I said, Dave's tried and tested and he's definitely one of the pioneers for sure. Yep. So, you know, uh, you can definitely trust in his design for sure. And, and the release points off the tail. I won't give anything away on what he's doing back there, but I mean, he's figured out a way to make it release real good off the water too, as yeah. you come up on foil. And, and that, that was my always, that was my thing that I debated with myself, you know, starting out was like, okay, do I want to, you know, um, spend more energy paddling to get into a bump or spend more energy balancing? Whereas if I could get up in four to five strokes and get up versus get up in like 10 to 20 strokes, but be really stable. You know, I always say like, and, and that's how it is, you know, like when you recommend a board to somebody, you know, you always tell them, Hey, like, you know, when you progress in foiling, you're going to progress super fast. So don't get a four ten, get a four six to start off with. And then, you know, you're probably going to want to graduate to something better or maybe a custom board. But I had that same mentality for stand up is like, you know, yeah, it's the, the dims are really very narrow, but if you want to dedicate yourself, you're definitely going to learn how to balance. So I'd rather spend more energy or I'd rather spend less energy in the aspect of paddling and trying to get up rather than trying to balance. Cause our balance would always improve, you know, just like when people, if they were to apply that to proning, right. Or, or surf oiling is like, you know, you're going to, you're going to learn so quickly that you're going to realize like, I, I have too much board or, I have all this foam and it's very hard to pump and it's bogging and slowing me down. So it's, you know, just have to just trust the process and and trust that you'll get better. Yep. So what do you want to leave folks with? This has been an epic podcast. It's been a pleasure 
getting to uh, hang out for a little bit, but what do you want to leave folks? Shoot. I mean, just be stoked on learning. You don't have to be an expert. Everyone's going to learn. And like that, like I said, for voyaging, there's no secret. It's just about getting out there. You know, there's going to be people who are experienced. Like I always try to convince all my paddler friends, like, Hey, look, you need to get it. This is the best way to do it. And you're going to be a monster. You just need to learn how to foil. Whereas my surf buddies too is like, Hey, this is so fun. Like now you can experience what I've been experiencing. And that was like the most fun thing that I've ever done that I'm, you know, paddling hours at a time on the ocean, way out in the middle of the sea. And there's nothing like it. Be patient, be persistent. You know, everyone in the Voyager crew is super cool. So just, you know, be sure to, if you guys have any questions, you know, hit us up, you know, and that's what's, that's what's so cool about the foiling community in general is we're always down to help people out because we've recognized all the failure and all the humbleness that you need to go through in order to be where you're at. So we're always so encouraging and and willing to help out, you know, it's a cool and exciting time for foiling and for downwind foiling. And we're just looking forward to it for the next decades of how everything is going to improve. And it's, it's definitely exciting for sure. Well, this has been an epic show. Simeon, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, still. This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.